navigating life in our 30s and we'll also be discussing things that we've been enjoying reading, watching and listening to recently. I'm Laurel Henning, a Sydney-based journalist and very excited that we have made it this far to six episodes and with my wonderful co-host Sasha Kelly, Melbourne-based podcast producer, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna, I feel we're marking the fact that we have made it to the length of a good TV mini-drama by combining our cultural blockbuster moments and discussing three of the same things. What a wonderful introduction, Laurel. It's so good. Oh, thank you very much. (laughs) Okay, so before we get into our cultural blockbusters, which, heads up, there will be 100% spoilers for all of these things. Obviously, we can't really spoil Adele's amazing new signal single, um, because you've all obviously listened to that by now a million times. But we will be spoiling Sally Rooney's Beautiful World, Where Are You? We will be spoiling season two of Ted Lasso. Before we get into that, Sasha, have you had any moments of social connection this week? Oh, Laurel... The long-awaited, eagerly anticipated um, moment has arrived. I know. And Melbourne has finally come out of lockdown, which is just, it's, it's, uh, I can't, I mean, obviously I'm speechless. I can't even put it into words. I'm just dancing on my chair. Like, yeah. You were. And that's how I felt. It, It kind of snuck up on you, you know, and I think that there's just been such a long time inside that I really didn't believe that it was going to change. And so yesterday I went to the pub. I invited my new friends to the pub. I had some old friends at the pub. There was more than two of us in a space at the one time. It was awkward. I did answer a question at the beginning that no one had asked, Um, (laughs) (laughs) which was one of those, oh, sorry, um, I misread that moment massively just then um and everyone did seem a little on edge but we had a couple of beers and then it was just absolutely fine I'm feeling really really good about the next few months there is so much hope in the air people are ready for their hot back summer people are ready for it oh and it must be like this is the closest I'm ever gonna understand hibernation in the animal (laughs) kingdom you know (laughs) I did miss my personal training session this morning because I was feeling a little under the weather. Um, So I do feel a bit guilty about that. But aside from that, it's all upwards from here. So how about you? What's your social connection? I was reflecting on this and I was going to talk about one thing, but now I'm going to talk about the picnic that I'm going to today. So obviously picnics are the social event of the summer. Obviously now we can do more things, but everybody has been riding the picnic wave very hard because it's been the only thing that we could do for a while but the people that I'm meeting today are people that I met when I very first moved to Sydney I'm talking within the first two weeks that I moved to Sydney three years ago and I met them through friends of friends and what this prompted me to think about was when you if you're moving to a different place ask the people around you that you know and love If they by any chance know anyone in that city, try and get a list of maybe 10 people when you move there and just like it is your job, work your way through that list of people. If you connect with just one of them, 
that is great because then they'll have friends that they're going to introduce you to and you might connect really well with their friends. And actually, this is exactly what happened to me. So it was a friend in Brussels had studied with someone who had moved here. She took us all for dinner. And then I met these two other people and was like, they're amazing. And our friendship continued and blossomed. And yeah, it's foundational in my Sydney group and network. So make a list and make your way through the list. Is basically how I live my life in all aspects. And it surprises me not a jot that I did this in friendship. <laughs> no, I think that's a wonderful suggestion. And can I also say that I, since moving back from London, now if anyone says, oh, I've got a friend who's moving to Sydney or I've got a friend who's moving to Brisbane or I've got a friend who's moving to Melbourne, I always say, here's my number. I'm sometimes there. And I personally have no expectation of whether they're going to contact me or not because I know that it's quite a a scary thing to do. But having been in the other position of just there's nothing. I think like that is the singular most alone feeling is being on the other side of the world and not having the first morning when you wake up and you're like, what have I done? <laughs> what do I do now? I guess I better go to the supermarket yeah. and stock up the fridge and make myself some food. And then what? It's And then you go to the supermarket and you go, but where, where are is all the things? It is so that one I, foot in oh. front of the other. You have to just pair yourself all the way back. But yes, I think, and it's very different to, mm. and we'll talk about this in another episode, I think, when you travel to a city maybe for work or somewhere else for work just for a short period, I think that's a very different style of potential friend making and seeking connection through your networks. This is much more at that foundational stage. When you are somewhere brand new, have a list of names and numbers that you can, in that first couple of weeks, work your way through and just see see how it goes. So... Hundred, yeah, I you could be here agree. three years later having a picnic, and one of the couples has had a baby, and all of that kind of stuff. So, Aww. yeah, it's all good. Let's move into Excellent. our cultural blockbusters, as I am calling them. I think we should begin. I love this, and I love how enthusiastic you are about. I think the dynamic of our friendship is coming to the fore in the sense that you have done so much prep, and I have done. Not much at all, but I have consumed all the things that we're talking about. So I feel that that that's is... That's all anyone needs um, to have done. This is great. That's all. That's all I need. But let's start, with, let's start with Sally Rooney, shall we? Let's. We're not going to spend any time recapping or talking about uh, the plot lines or discussing you know, the narrative arcs of any of these blockbusters as Laurel has said so if that's what you're after from a podcast uh we'll put some other recommendations in the show notes of other reviews that you can go listen to okay so did you like it I did really enjoy it uh I think I have some reservations about Sally Rooney's uh writing in general and and that's not to say about her actual technique or her skill she's an excellent writer and I love especially her uh very unique and stylistic way of writing dialogue which is so different to anything else that I've ever read before but she has this fascination with characters who seem to be broken from childhood and it seems to be a very unique 20s experience 
I, I'm generalizing here, but twenties uh, uh, experience where it's these people who have broken wings, mm. broken legs, broken brains, and are making a bit of a mess of their lives from issues that they haven't antagonized and haven't untangled. And I think as someone who's moved into my 30s and is acutely aware of the hang or or is starting through Mm. self-examination to be looking at things that I've done, Mm -hmm. I no longer resonate with that. I think that actually now the things that are holding me back are things that I've done in my 20s, you know, mistakes that I've made as an adult and uh, decisions that I've made as an adult. And I want to read stories about people who know their flaws and are their flaws and are making mistakes very aware of that. And I find that the three books of hers that I've read, all of them are frustratingly obtuse when it comes to their own hangups and inability to communicate. It's so frustrating. But I'm I'm tabled that first because I think in spite of that, in spite of these characters who I loathe, and I really do struggle to like any of them, I always want to finish her books and I always want to read. And this one in particular, more than normal people and more than conversations with friends, I felt a sense of anxiety the whole time I was reading it. I just felt that it was unavoidable that something bad was going to happen of their own making um and I found that a really uneasy uneasy physical experience as I uh read the book that's kind of my high level thoughts on it um yeah what about you um so I I found this book I think I connected with it or in, enjoyed it feels like the wrong word because it's not really an enjoyable escape read. But I I do, I, I, I admire Sally Rooney's writing, her ability to, uh, it's the close under the microscope observation of a situation, though we never get any insight really into the internal dialogue of a character, really, of any of her characters. It's all observation. And we're observing as the reader all of their misunderstandings. I love her exploration of miscommunication and misunderstanding. I haven't read conversations with friends, but with normal people and with this book, I think that's, that is her jam. That is the thing that she does really, really well. Uh, A friend of mine said to me, there is no plot. I couldn't care less. I'm Sally Rooney's bitch. I don't even care. I think because, so I feel like I am often miscommunicating in relationships that are really important to me and and trying to navigate that and improve that. I had a really interesting discussion with my stepmom actually about the generational gap. So she's reading it as someone in the generation above us and she's like, is this really how it is? Is this how you will feel when you're dating and when you're like in relationships with one another? Is this how you feel? Because she felt like, the in my day sort of quote you know it was boy meets girl there's either wow or there isn't the fact that everything is so hard and it's so complicated I would have been very frustrated if these characters were still in their 20s the fact that she had moved forward into the protagonists being in their 30s I found a lot easier Sally Rooney has sort of 
or the term around her, and there's a great discussion of that in the book, the term around her has been sort of coined of she is the creator of sort of millennial fiction. Now, I don't really love other examples of that where I feel like books are marketed to me as being like Sally Rooney. She has managed to unpick something about our generation but I completely understand what you're saying of I don't want to read I don't always want to read about the mistakes that I'm making or I made in my 20s I want to be reading about as you say people who have owned that and and moved forward I think in terms of the stuff all around Sally Rooney and then there's the really difficult like the autofiction element of this that it's almost unavoidable to, to, to get into in discussions in her discussions and views of the sort of marketing machines that are in the literary world. But I think there is a great point that is made that is something like, you know, when you write the work and you make the work, that's when it's good. That's when you think it's either good or it isn't, when you finished it as the author. After that, it's it, it's nothing to do with you. It's not connected to you anymore. It's for, it's for the public and the marketing industry and machine around lit, literature and fiction to, to, to decide that on your behalf. You've done all you can and you've released it into the world. And I think that was a really interesting discussion. I loved the sort of um, the email discussions that were had, the more... Oh, did you? Because I yeah, think... Yeah, lots of I people really wanna... hated them and thought they were super pretentious. So don't know what that says about me. But... Well, no, I just, I thought it was so interesting because I I wondered why she had to couch some of these really deep philosophical thoughts as an email and rather didn't push I, I felt maybe this is something that she's developing as this is a stylistic choice of hers mm. that she's always going to stick to that they always have to be written as dialogue these big thoughts but I there were a couple of sections of the emails in particular where I thought I've had those thoughts or I've had you know deep philosophical moments in a supermarket but I've never gone I've never had that relationship with anyone where I've decided to go home and write them and Mm. I accepted it in the premise of Alice who's a novelist Mm. Um, I thought it's still pushing the friendship if someone I've got a lot of creative friends and if they all decided to write me massive um practice (laughs) essays of or compositions or um poetry I'd go okay sure but let's go to the pub um but I found it quite uh I did find it quite interesting between um the fact that it was almost presented as this is why Alice and Eileen are friends because they're big Mm. creative thinkers. And also, did you get the impression that Eileen is actually potentially the far more talented person than Alice was? That was what I thought. That maybe she was... Yeah, that maybe she had this burgeoning talent that she had sort of... It was this crossroads point where Alice had had the break and had pursued the, the... She'd pursued it. She'd been given the opportunity. She'd got the opportunity and off she went. She wrote the book and Eileen had written this essay, had been asked if she was interested. I think she, if she was interested in writing a book herself or something like that. And she had just ignored it mm. and pa- I sort think... of panicked and shoved it to one side. And I just thought that was really interesting because actually I thought Eileen was probably a more thoughtful academic person. I think I think you're touching on the issue that I had you when I was talking about earlier, that frustration of... Things seemed to happen to Eileen. She was very passive. And I 
found the character of Alice far more interesting simply for the fact that things had happened that had complicated her life. And I guess this is the example. This is the, um, this is the example that I'm pointing to in terms of I want to read about people who have started mm. in one place and and there's a very clear sense of their identity and things have happened to them in their 20s and they've now ended up in a different position. And I felt that Eileen was frustrating in that she's clearly spent 12 years of her life not kind of ambling through and and had never really hit a crunch point with her feelings and relationship with Simon. And I felt that, you know, maybe it's just incredibly accurate, but I just felt so frustrated by her. And I think, I think personally, I felt that I want to read, I'm intrigued to see what Sally Rooney will write next mm-hmm. uh, because I felt that I want to read more about characters like Alice. Um, and I think also it was really, the reason I went and bought the book is because I'd read reviews saying that this is a very thinly veiled or there's a lot of writing in it through Alice's lens that it doesn't take a lot of imagination to see this is how Sally Rooney herself feels about the literary world mm. and the publishing which world. we never really get an insight into as non-authors so I was really yeah I really enjoyed that um yeah I wanted to ask you about so you talked about the tension when you were reading it and this level of anxiety you had there's a point in sort of the third act as it were of the book where Felix gets in that taxi when he's really drunk and drives to the house and he sort of slings his backpack over his shoulder. And I thought, oh God, he's going to kill them. I genuinely, (laughs) the tension in that, the violence in him, in his character and the tension in that moment, I thought, oh my gosh, so he's going to kill them. Is this going to be a murder novel? (laughs) And then it didn't, but I was reading the rest of it with that level of tension and, and as a result, and, and he was so horrible to Alice. How, okay, we need to get into the ending. We need to get into the ending. I want to ask you about the ending. For mm, me, that's another, I feel like that, Sally really blinked. And that is exactly what someone said in my one of my favourite um, reviews of this, that she blinked and that's why everyone, she could have ended it in a different way, but she blinked and everyone sort of ends up in this very neat thing. I could not believe that Alice and Felix ended up together. I was all for Simon and Ivy and ending up together, though I balked at her approach to pregnancy and the way she was like, and now magically I'm financially settled, having basically been living on an absolute pittance beforehand. What did you think of the ending? And then I've got some quick fire character questions for you. Yeah, I think the more that you're talking, the more I rem- I'm remembering that I really disliked Felix and I couldn't understand the attraction between them and I couldn't understand someone who's clearly such a recluse as Alice would bother to try so hard because I felt that 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 was for me where that anxiety came from which is that she's clearly finds Mm. humans complicated so why is she inviting other than other than in a self-destructive way and in which case how can this become a long well it's not I guess I guess super long term it's a year hence but they seem she writes about it with such fondness in that last section of them being together in a way that is not credible for how he treats her 
early on. Now the heat between them when they first meet, I totally bought and I was very surprised when nothing happened and they said, oh, it was a really awkward date. I thought there was a lot of heat in that first meeting and I thought, here but we go. But that's her talent. But that's her talent mm-hmm. is that she knows how to write. I mean, that's why Normal People is such a huge success because the ability to write consent as a sexy thing mm. and not an awkward thing mm. is a real gift I don't think anyone else I don't think I've read anything else that has really managed to get that kind of uh, sexual tension while being positive but also while being sexy but also while having a a drive forward I think she just to capture it's really funny you say that because someone said to me on Instagram the sex was really weird (laughs) which I thought was fascinating (laughs) oh yeah I think it, I think it definitely, this book gave me anxiety in a way that I didn't, normal people made me frustrated, but I could understand because I felt you tracked mm. their journey. It's a different miscommunication. confused teenagers. And, and it's, and it's that, you know, everyone has those people in friends, family and um, romantic interests. I think most people can identify with having that friend where if you met as adults, if you met as who you are today, you probably wouldn't be friends Mm -hmm. or you'd have a very straightforward relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think what normal people did so beautifully is track that those people who are just so interwoven with your your story Mm. that even though there's very unhealthy elements of it, you can't really seem to extricate yourself from it. But I think what frustrated me about Beautiful World, Where Are You, was some of these, with the exception of Eileen and Simon, and then, um, you know, Simon and Alice and Eileen and Alice, who had known each other for a long time, I just felt like you've only known Felix for a hot second. You met him on Tinder. He's, for these socially awkward people, I couldn't understand the binding. I couldn't understand why that, um, as as you said, I could understand Eileen and Simon getting together and working it out. It was very neat. But after reading it with that pit in my stomach the whole way, I thought, thank goodness. But I wanted them to. I don't I, have to worry wanted, about them anymore. I wanted them to figure out their relationship. I just didn't want her to turn around and say, essentially, I'm now with a man who takes care of all of my financial needs. I've accidentally got pregnant. I guess I'll keep it. I don't really know whether I want to have kids, but this'll this'll do. Um, that's kind of who she was though right she didn't really have great aspirations it's in line with her passive nature but Mm. I wanted uh, I don't know I just it didn't it didn't sit right but okay quick fire Felix we don't like Felix is he a creep and or is he a misogynistic bully or is he more nuanced (laughs) I did think he was someone who didn't hold himself or didn't examine his own behavior and was quite lazy. Mm. Okay. And I think that's probably describes why I found him so irksome because I really can't stand people who just go, well, that's just who I am that like deal with it. It's that whole kind of bravado attitude of just no attitude, no uh, appetite for examining yourself and realizing your effects on other people what about you what's your thoughts I think he's a misogynistic bully misogynist bully (laughs) Simon is Simon a beautiful childhood sweetheart or um Mm. some sort of infantilizing guy with a savior complex 
can I say a little of column A, a little of column B? You can, you may. I'm glad you yeah. did. Life, Thanks. life what is about- all about the grey. It is not black and white. Exactly. Uh, what did you think? Uh, a bit of both. I think you're probably right. I think he loved to be needed. Who doesn't? But I do <laughs> think he loved Eileen. I think he deeply, deeply loved her. I think he just didn't know after so long how to express that maybe and how to just admit that and and take that risk and the fact that it was worth it and I think their conversations about that about the risk and you know they both want to but how you also have to make yourself vulnerable in saying that you want to and the refusal the refusal oh, to make she yourself was so vulnerable, frustrating I think is something that <laughs> Sally Rooney writes really well we must move on but I wanted to recommend if people want to take deeper dives into reviews of this book and discussions. I would so highly recommend the Slate Culture Gab Fest's discussion in their episode from October the 13th. They talk about separating Alice from Sally and whether Rooney blinked on her ending, which is where I got that um, phrase. So definitely listen into that. And I would also recommend listening to the Australian Book Review podcast where BJ Silcox reads her review and discusses the entangled process of just how you can go about how to critique a Sally Rooney book when, you know, Everyone was waiting to love this book. How do you then go about critiquing it? Oh, that's fantastic. I listened to The Culture, which is another Australian podcast, and they had a special on it about a month ago. I'm not as well prepared as you with notes of when that was actually broadcast, but if you go to The Culture's uh, feed, they did a review. Take me to Ted Lasso, which I have some lovely messages from... um, our friends on Instagram who have responded to us, which I really appreciate, about Ted Lasso season two. Can you read us some of the messages and then we can fire off there? Because I feel like my big headline is the Nate storyline, but I understand that there's so much more in Ted Lasso uh, to uncover. But I think let's start with what our feedback is from people on Instagram. Okay, so we have two messages from Ali the first one is I love that it is actually a show about mental health disguised as a football show particularly about men's mental health and normalizing talking about it with friends and then we had another message which said uh, the acting's incredible the plot's amazing I watched it three times already can't get enough (laughs) I think um I at the risk of repeating myself I think what because I'm sure I said this when we first talked about Ted Lasso, but I'm, I'm going to bring it up because this is really how I feel about the show. I love that it's one of the only things on television that I've seen that represents masculinity in different ways and it's all positive. Mm-hmm. There's, as, as opposed, I mean, it's as far removed as Sally Rooney as you can get. I love every character in their individual ways. I think that the two central women characters could have been caricatures and they're not Mm. but more importantly I think having a role model like Ted Lasso who celebrates vulnerability and celebrates positivity and leads with his heart um and in the two season arc has brought other characters on board with that way of thinking I think you know if you were going to write the cliche version of this, he would be quite antagonistic or, you mm-hmm. know, he'd be quite um, at odds mm-hmm. with all the other characters. Mm-hmm. And even though he is mm-hmm. with 
Yeah, Roy, uh, Jamie, all the other coaching staff, you've noticed his influence over the two, two seasons. And so for me, I just think, yes, it doesn't do everything perfectly. Sometimes I think there's too many musical numbers, although I will say that Hannah Waddingham could sing anything and I will listen sing to it. Sing the same thing, Hannah. But, <laughs> but the, the, funeral, the funeral episode in particular, I was a little like, okay, we're not at karaoke like we were randomly in that episode earlier. This I am finding this a little bit harder to understand that it might happen. But um, yeah, I just think it's a show about joy. And, I th- and also to that point about mental health, it doesn't hit you over the head with it. It's a very gentle uh, way of saying your attitude and your lens on life influences your experience of life. I think you just watch it and you experience that. Anyway, I have said my diatribe. What are your thoughts on Ted Lasso? So I did feel that season two slight dip. And I feel so bad for saying that about our beloved Ted Lasso. But I th- I think in part that is nothing to do with it actually not being as good. I think that's more to do with the fact that season one was such a bolt from the blue. Like it was so different from anything else that I had ever seen. This discussion of mental health, particularly the discussions around toxic masculinity, male friendship, what it means to be a man, let's say. And I think something that had been so different it was probably very difficult then to match those expectations going into season two but I think what this show is constantly teaching me is everybody has stuff going on (laughs) everybody has a reason for how they're probably presenting to you especially if it's not how you maybe want them to or imagine like people just aren't people are very rarely simply rubbish (laughs) garbage people Mm. but people are also not one person Mm. to all people as well I think that's what um especially in season two was so beautifully explored is this idea especially through the character of Nate is this idea that you aren't Mm. a a constant you are sometimes awful to your inferiors and you manage up and you're lovely to the people above you sometimes you are nice Mm. to your friends Mm-hmm. and awful to your family you know there are people aren't one yes. aren't these constants aren't and consistent I think it really does well at showing what happens again in contrast perhaps to the characters in beautiful world where are you what happens when people are willing to do the work on themselves like what can be achieved um when people and that doesn't mean achieved in terms of the success that they have in the competition not by any means look at the end of season one but what happens when people are willing to treat each other properly with respect mm. and and communicate? <laughs> so question for you, what do, what do you think yeah. was the outstanding or your number one storyline over the last season? This is difficult because I, in terms of that makes me think which storyline did I love the best? I loved Sam and Rebecca. I loved watching that. I loved how... It surprised me. I loved his moment in um, how they created a barbershop in the the football kit room, how they prepared him for that as his mates. I just, how they got together. I I loved it. And I know lots of people took umbrage with it. I loved that. I, in in terms of specific moments, I think we need to talk about Keely and Roy on the sofa 
non-verbal acting to the hilt and they think but in terms of outstanding we do need to talk about Nate's storyline as well so I don't know any of those three I think you've touched on the top three for me I would say my well rapid fire question do you think it's interesting that they haven't that at no point has it been acknowledged that Sam dating Rebecca might be problematic from a workplace perspective. It seems to be very focused on the issue of age, um, age gap, and seems to be quite positive about their them being together in general. But she, we can't escape the fact that she owns the football club that he works for. But the reality of that is that if they had really wanted to, if they had really wanted to make that relationship work, I think he would have just, I don't think that would have been, I guess I'm, maybe I'm bringing more nuance in terms of what's the individual relationship there. And that individual relationship has a power imbalance in it but not one that the characters I think were unaware of or not willing to interact with. And I think had it had it become an issue, he would have found another club. And had it been an issue for his teammates, he told his coach. I think didn't he tell his coach or did she did she tell Ted? Or has some She yeah. tells she tells Ted. I I just think and you know, it is a TV show. So and it only goes for what, forty minutes. So we can't, it can't be all things to all people. But I do think that when we often use that lens of if the gender roles were reversed, what would we be saying? I thought it was very interesting and I'm not going to pass judgment on it either way because I completely agree. I think as two characters, they're very positive. You know, they're not characters acting um, impulsively. They're both very thoughtful and they're both very uh, considerate. But I did think it was interesting that it was presented without comment that that kind of angle to their relationship wasn't antagonized and if the roles have been reversed and I mean if women football players earn a mozza which you know hopefully one day they do but and it was owned by a male CEO I think that would have been central to the storyline um, and so I did just think it was an interesting dynamic that it escaped mention. Is it because, though, is it in part to do with the fact of how they get together? They don't get together by her being his boss and him. It's not something that happens organically through their connection at the football club. Now, if it had, I would argue... I would agree with you. I think because mm. it happens specifically via this app where they don't know who the other person is and then they're both for a minute like, wow, this cannot happen. This is absolutely ridiculous. No way. One, I'm too old for you. Also, I'm your boss. Like, no, 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 no. This is mm. wrong on so many levels. And then they both think, but actually we've really enjoyed each other's company. There's clearly something here. Let's let's just see what see what this is. But then I think... It's only for, what is it, like maybe a couple of weeks. I don't know how long it actually lasts. And very yeah. quickly, I think all of the things that we're saying in terms of what the issues are become apparent to Rebecca, who is the person with more power, and she calls it. And she says she's afraid of being mm. vulnerable as well. She needs time on her own. Um, that's another thing I love about this show is that it gives the female characters the freedom to be on their own and not find, figure themselves out with the help of a, a male partner. 
Let's go to Nate's storyline. Yeah, let's do I it. I have lots of um, feelings about this. I loved it. I think, yes, again, I'll make the point. It is a TV show, so it cannot be all things to all people. There are aspects of his, what would we say, turn to the dark side, his kind of Darth Vader transition that I think might be heavy-handed. Um, the spitting, for one, I know we've talked about that. I hate that. it so and much. <laughs> And I've seen it, actually, I was on a Facebook group the other day and someone wrote a big essay about how much they hated that, um, the spitting. Um, they also interestingly pointed out that they thought it was weird that Ted ignored him bullying. I was very much under the impression, and this is what I loved about the storyline so much, that Nate's bullying is done out of the eyesight of most of the people mm. above him. And he picks his targets very mm-hmm. cleverly. And Beard, Coach Beard, is the only one who witnesses the occasional moment but still only sees the tip of the iceberg. But even what he sees, I think he does acknowledge. He does. And he's the only character to acknowledge it. But I think it so beautifully paints that picture of he's only witnessed one or two episodes. He's addressed it. But he's unaware of how large the problem has become and how detrimental uh, Nate's behavior has become. Ted is completely in the dark about it and has, you know, actually got his own issues that he's working through. So doesn't really have the space of mind to be acknowledging or working through with Nate. And I just thought, that last kind of blow up in that last episode where he just unloads and says you abandoned me you built me up to feel like the best person ever and I thought this is this is exactly right someone who is that insecure has has taken good male father figure um relationship as well so he's never had this he's never had anyone in his life pull him out of line and say you're amazing you're doing a great job I appreciate you I see you Mm. But also similarly, he, because he hasn't practiced that art of acknowledging when things upset him and kind of using that light is the best disinfectant. Let's just talk about this. This thing you said really upset me. Mm. He's ruminated and obsessed about these small things that didn't even factor into Ted's mind. He's allowed them to completely eat away at any positive actions that he's done. And then he's blown up after a year. And I think we, I mean, I personally definitely know of my own obsessive behavior with that those kind of things but I've witnessed it in other people too where friendships blow up and to one person it was I didn't even realize that was an issue and the other person has spent 12 months um fixated on it so I just thought it was so you know there were moments I went ah it's not it's not clean but it it, it's the most realistic character Mm -hmm. I think I've seen in the whole series but I've talked about it enough. What do you think about it? Um, no, I, I, I'm agreeing with you. I think it's the most... After Ted, Nate is the most developed character to have a significant arc. And therefore, it makes sense for him to have this experience. And it is believable from where he's coming from and then what he's experiencing I just hated this fitting so much and it just seemed so inconsistent with what 
Rebecca was trying to teach him in terms of making yourself big, but maybe that's me not understanding his interpretation of big guy masculinity. I thought what he was doing was a self-loathing thing of hyping him up through saying like, essentially, you're a piece of shit sort of thing. And, and hyping himself up through through that, uh, which people do, but I could not abide it. And when it was in the restaurant, <laughs> my boyfriend and I just turned to each other as he spat himself in the restaurant toilet and we both looked at each other and went, someone's got to clean that up. Mm. What it has revealed to me is how many people really detest spitting in a visceral way. I think it's really demonstrated. I, I mean, I say that I hate it and when I'm on the street and if you especially runners when you see runners do it or people just walking and they spit in the gutter yeah well but this isn't that is it this isn't like a clearing out in an athletic way this is a oh yeah I just meant thing and it's being done in an aggression thing yeah I mean people hate spitting generally but I I Mm. what I particularly hate about his spitting is the spitting as an act Mm. of aggression I find that abhorrent Oh, it's so interesting because I think what definitely from my stalking on the internet and just seeing, you know, people saying I need to t- talk about Ted Lasso, I need to talk about this, that has been the number one headline for so many people. Okay, last question is Roy and Keely, will they be together? Will they not? No, Keely's going to get back together with Jamie eventually. Yeah. Any other predictions for season three? Uh, Ted and Rebecca episode 11 of season three she will walk into his office and she will say i'm in love with you that's my revelation of season three because they have teed that up so perfectly with her coming in at the penultimate episode or the final episode of every season and having a revelation in his office and this season he says to her same time next year and i'm like great that's it that's what it's gonna be ted and rebecca end game I hope that I I completely agree. I think Roy and Keely will break up. Um, I think the writing on the wall is pretty clear for that one, but it was extraordinary acting. Um, I it hope it was up there with Emma Thompson's crying in Love Actually. That moment oh, for me. That in terms of that also breaks my heart. Nonverbal acting. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also am going to say a controversial statement. I hope that next season is its last. Because yeah, I, I would really to like it to, I think that the only way it can wrap up in a nice, neat bow, which I really hope it does, is by calling it earlier than they need to. Yeah. And I think what will happen is, so they now, are, the good thing about Nate's storyline is they're now set up to have this great rivalry with West Ham, with Rupert owning West Ham. There's also, I think if they if they do finish or if they are meant to finish, I think Ted will find the distance from his son too hard. And by the end of the season, he will say, I have to go back to America. I have to be with my family. And that will be what prompts Rebecca to say, don't go. I love you. You should be in a writer's room, Laurel. That's brilliant. (laughs) I hadn't even thought of that. On Rebecca, I think the best lesson of the entire season, maybe just for me, is Roy turning around to her episode one, I think, and saying he's fine but you deserve to be with someone who makes you feel like you've been struck by something lightning. And it's fantastic. I think in I terms really like of that. both women figuring out what they deserve and their sense of self, I think this season, despite the program as a whole being centered on 
particularly male mental health, its development of the female characters, I think, has been exceptional. Oh, and I love that. I love. Sorry, this is a really last point, and then we can move on to Adele. Um, I love watching Keely discover that she's good for something that's not her looks. Me After too. After having a lifetime of being expected just to be something beautiful I think it's a really lovely I think they're doing such a lovely job with her character of it being genuine surprise and genuine shock but she's not shying away from it she's really excited about the opportunity to be good at something that's not modeling and I and it's also believable you know she's not going to become an astrophysicist or something she's become a PR and communications and um, expert which of course image and storytelling as part of a model's job in a way so I, j- I still felt like though, to go from nothing to be photographed for Vanity oh, Fair I personally thought mm, no <laughs> and and you know um having had some experience of uh startups when it's oh just this massive rich man wants to give me all this money to start my own farm and I went I just don't know many investors are going you know what we really need another PR company and I'm going to put my cash into that you know and also sorry I've got on a roll now it doesn't cost that much to set up your own consulting as a PR she just needs a website honestly she doesn't need to start with much more than that so I did think that that kind of um but they needed impetus for the character to make a big change I guess and kind of take those big strides uh but I did kind of go uh oh all right then I feel like she's not gonna gonna lose money I feel like she might actually not even be in season three very much and Mm. personally I found her character kind of annoying by the end so I'm kind of okay with that but interesting yeah I like her I liked the things that were being done with the relationship with Roy, the things that were being done with the relationship with Rebecca, Keely as her own character frustrates me. Okay, on let's bombshell. move on. Let's talk to Ad- about Adele. I can't wait is. for She's the back. album. I'm so excited. I need to go find my um, stream of consciousness text to you. You do. Send it. But you tell me headlines about Adele fast while I'm finding this. Oh, I probably should have written down my own stream of consciousness. I know it's about divorce, but I feel like it is the most accurate three minute and 44 second portrayal of looking back at defining the relationships of your 20s with a little bit more time and a little bit more self-assurance and more knowledge of your own self and character and and appreciation there's a lot of hope in it and I loved that there's hope as well as sadness in moving forward and yeah I just admire her I think she said that you know she says it hopefully encourages people to just feel what they're feeling and that we're not traditionally encouraged to do that and yeah she she got me in my feels and I appreciate that thank you Adele okay I found our text message conversation and I'm just gonna read it verbatim because I think that's our best way of doing this so you wrote to me Okay, we can definitely discuss easy on me. Holy balls, she's cracked it again. (laughs) Stunning. She's perfectly defined what it means to look back on a big relationship from your 30s. Giving up on putting someone else first to make the relationship work. Yes, 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 (laughs) I bow down. 
The moment in the video when it shifts to color feels like the blinkers coming off in your 30s when you're like, oh, I don't need to try that hard. I can give up slash give in slash go easy on myself and free myself. Space, sobs, sobs, sobs. Okay, this is my hot take, but that's my response. And I sent back to that lots of crying face emojis. (laughs) And then I decided to, I wrote watching now. So first of all, I wrote, I love this and I think we should do a dramatic reading. So this is a little inception moment. Here it is, the dramatic reading. (laughs) Okay, live thoughts. A, I love her fingernails. They were fantastic. They were fantastic. B, struggling with the turning tables, obvious references. Uh, This might just be me, but the chord progression um, where it rapidly kind of... uh, intertwines between the two chords I just felt that I kept waiting for her to go into the turning tables lines but then I wrote wins me back instantly with the chorus I got shivers I'm almost three minutes in and it's almost over already question mark question mark we can talk about this in a moment I love how much her body has changed but she's still filmed from the female gaze so it's not immediately obvious I've written follow-up to loving her fingernails, loving the jewelry as well. And in summary, and this is really my my headline thoughts about it. Adele has traditionally always written with such obvious pain and vulnerability at the heart of her music. And I think you can hear that in her voice. And I'm going to be really nerdy for a second, really lame, and say that I think it's similarly to how I feel about the great songwriters, of course, of, you know, Carly Simon, Joni Mitchell, um, uh, can't think of anyone else. But also uh, a lot of people say this about Maria Callas where it's she has a really ugly sound to her voice but the pain and temperament is somehow always in there. And the same with Amy Winehouse. It's like there's something about the way that they sing. There's no pretense. There's no prettiness about it. They're not worried about being pretty. It's all there on the microphone. Um, so I think Adele has always done that really well with both her voice, but also her lyrics. And I said, I think she has a gift for translating that. But this feels for me like a real shift into adulthood. The pain is present, but there's an acceptance and a transparency that she might have played a part in it. And I've written, I feel like acceptance is maybe a huge buzzword, but it's really how I feel about this. So I just felt like uh, the last three albums, a lot of it's been, you know, you did this to me. You cheated on me. Go off and be with your new new lover. I hope one day you regret it. Oh, I can't believe, you know, all her songs are just so victim centric. And I, and I don't mean that as a criticism. I love them. I play them all the time. I mean, that's how we all feel yeah, in a breakup. But I felt that. like this is the first one where I've heard her go actually I'm moving on but I'm moving on as an adult and I'm accepting that sometimes life doesn't go your way and this is yeah I just think it's magnificent Laurel Mm. I do think there's something really difficult for artists that write so vulnerably and I am linking here I guess to Amy Winehouse and it is so demanding for of us as an audience for them to be and she's chosen to write her music like this I guess or this is just how she writes her music maybe she doesn't feel she has a choice in it but to write something about your divorce which she wrote what at least two years ago probably now and now she is going to have to sing this 
over and over and over again she's going to have to talk about it in promotional things she's handling the promotion incredibly well in terms of she did like one interview with radio one she's done the vogue shoot that's kind of it and then the, and she's everywhere and anyway. she's everywhere yeah. and then you just let the the song speak for itself but it must be and you did watch this with Amy Winehouse, the demands of having to sing about something that shattered you because you've written that song, when it becomes that popular, is really difficult and really hard to manage. And I think I think Adele has spoken about this before, you know, becoming famous at a time when Amy Winehouse was um, really, really unwell and then passed away. And then also um, Britney having her breakdown and... Um, at that time just being cannibalized by the media like you I think she was hyper aware of it as a younger person but yeah I just I I feel acutely aware of that listening to this and I think um I know that we're running out of time but I I just want to say this I think what I found very interesting is that both the Vogue profiles made quite a big deal of her weight loss but then having watched the film clip I don't think it's as I'm I'm really I I really think that the preoccupation with her body is our issue not hers. I couldn't agree um, more. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, because I just thought actually the way it's shot, the fixation on her eye makeup, um a lot of like far away shots. When you especially when you compare her to her last album where cuz I went back and watched what's the song that's um your next lover. What's it called? Oh send my love to your next lover yeah send my love to your next lover I went back and watched the film clip of that and she looks fantastic in it and and again beautifully dressed and I thought actually there's not a lot of difference stylistically between that and I think traditionally where you'd see a woman lose a lot of weight and uh really change I mean and you know being photographed in vogue with these beautiful shots I mean can you talk about a magazine that commercializes women's bodies more than Vogue but um I think it's a lie to tell ourselves that Adele is making her weight loss her story I think it's actually our obsession with it and we need to have a bit of a look in the mirror that is a fantastic I also think she looks fantastic she does look fantastic (laughs) but I think that is such a good point Sasha and I think we should leave it there to be quite honest because I can't top that excellent (laughs) (laughs) um well it's been a pleasure three wheeling a little bit of a different taste this week. Tell us what you think about it. We'll be returning though with our social points and then recommendations uh, from next episode. But we've hit episode six. Fantastic. If you would like to get in touch with us, it's threewheelingpod at gmail.com. And we're also on Instagram at threewheelingpod. Excellent. Well, Laurel, until next time, enjoy your picnic. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Oh, 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 oh,